Dana. Today we are going to sit down and uh, talk a little bit about the UFO hearings, right? First, I just want to say I'm so uh, so glad that you're here and so glad about our new plan for Media Mystic for it to become a uh, regular conversation between the two of us since we seem to enjoy speaking so much. And um, of course, there may be additional guests who come on um, throughout the throughout the weeks and months, but it will be a, a regular meeting between the two of us where we'll focus on topics that we think are interesting to, to discuss and share. And so today we, we decided to sit down and talk about the UFO hearings or the UAP hearings as they were called um, last week. And for a while I tried to say UAP and I'm sure it's the more sophisticated way to put it, but whatever, who cares? Um, but first, before we start with that, tell me, tell me about um, you were you were telling me about the the experience of seeing lights, um, and and seeing the flashes of lights. What what happened with that? What's what's going on with that? Yeah, absolutely. First, I want to say UAPs. I can't I can't say it either. I hit a yeah. moment where I was like, what are they talking? Maybe we're about? just a little oh. too old. We're a little too old to be able to to step away from the UFO <laughs> terminology. Oh, God, I think. <laughs> I feel like my mom in this moment. Oh dear. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it started for me on um, Thursday. Uh, for the past three days, I've been having this experience, and it happened before to me, but um, it's it's a little different now. Where I'm seeing coming across my vision, um, spotters of um, sort of colored lights. They started out being kind of yellow. There's a little bit of blue in them. It's kind of like if you if you catch a bubble or something in the sun where it starts as a color, but then kind of works to a spectrum of the rainbow and everything looks a little distorted. And I've been seeing them come across my vision along with this feeling of a sort of presence moving in. It's almost like a sort of, um, like something coming down towards me and it has a, a presence where I can feel it on both sides of my shoulders and um, kind of coming in around the back of my head. And it's very much as if, um, for me, it's a feeling I get when when we journey, you know, where something's making contact with you, where you feel the palpable shift in the energy. Um, and it's happened to me all three times it's happened to me. I've been somewhere where I'm unable to tune in. Um, the first one was was um, with my in-laws, not the ideal moment to sit and have a spiritual experience, you know, and to really tap in. Um, and the other time was with a group of uh, people, more family members. And the third time was um, yesterday on Saturday when I was walking home with my daughter. Um, and I really just had to kind of push through it. And last night I talked with um, a friend of mine and kind of was like, look, I, I wanted some perspective on what was happening. And interestingly enough, the first thing she saw was an extraterrestrial guide um, and, you know, was really able to channel in a little about that energy. And the kind of the conclusion I came to from this experience was that it's a sort of download, a sort of both a download as well as a clearing of information that connected to um, both my third eye and crown chakra, things that are both coming in and clearing out sort of in this sort of balance but the point is that it's being done in moments where I'm not supposed to have this conscious awareness of it I'm supposed to just kind of allow it to happen you know moments where the focus isn't supposed to be on it it's supposed to just kind of um it's supposed to be what it is I guess without being any more complicated mm -hmm. um and I I haven't I haven't had one today yet <laughs> so I don't know if maybe I got I got the message on it um but I mean, it's very um, sort of like, you know, what's happening isn't a medical thing. I know I don't need to go to the doctor. It's not a medical thing. Um, I know that it's a spiritual experience, but it still is um, interesting because you still have to, you still have your real world life, quote unquote, you know, you still have to kind of go about your business. Um, so you have a feeling that is, accompanies it. You, you feel an energy descending when, mm -hmm. okay. I've, yeah. we've talked yeah. before about my own experience with that. And I, I too, uh, started seeing, um, for me, it was always white. There was never any color and I, I still see it. Um, but they, they're always, they're like little flashes of light or sometimes little stars of light, sometimes, um, streaks of light, like lightning. Um, and I did, I, I assumed that it was probably a spiritual thing, 
but but I did go to the eye doctor to make sure it's not something serious. And um, they did all that. They dilated my eyes, went through all of that. Mm-hmm. Nothing happening there. No retina separation or re- whatever it's called. Um, and and when they asked me to describe it, I was like, it's it's um th- they're moving lights, and they were like moving. That's that's not really how it. It's not. They're not usually moving. So I'm not sure what that is. And I also noted to them that I do. I did start developing ocular migraines about a year ago. Um, and the way that presents mm-hmm. itself is um, looking like a prism or a, um, I think it's called a prism, like a kaleidoscope, a really beautiful colored kaleidoscope, usually in my left eye, right to the, to the left, mm-hmm. but I see it in both eyes, but it's to the left. And it usually culminates in some kind of headache, although not usually a, a real migraine, um, cause I take something before that can happen, but this isn't associated. They, none, no one thought it was associated, including the neurologist I get my, my medicine from. So, um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I do, I know, I know what you're talking about, although I never really experienced any kind of uh, feeling of energy coming in with it. Um, it just came in the form of lights. So that's the mm-hmm. main thing I would say. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, but for me, when I have intuitive and psychic experiences, especially if I'm working in, um, when I'm shamanic, doing shamanic journeying or working in, you know, like some form of a trance state I can feel the energy move in it's like a real thing for me it's a I can feel the shifts in the environment I can you know sometimes um distinguish the different type and sometimes I can distinguish the different types of spirits based upon you know if I'm feeling heat if I'm feeling cold you know there's different like energetic um impressions in the air so it is a a real real world thing you know it's it's Mm -hmm. very interesting Mm -hmm. Yeah, I felt I felt those energies as well. Um, particularly when we're opening circle, I I feel the energy coming in, um, but mm-hmm. not with not with the lights. Um, and generally, I'm not clairsentient the way you are. I I have some clairsentience. Mostly, I'm clairaudient. And actually, I was I really I I listened to Juan's podcast where we were talking about that. And I think I kept saying I was clairsentient and I meant clairaudient. And I just wish I could go back and fix it. <laughs> but anyway, it's interesting that the, that your your friend noted that it was a potentially a UFO guide considering our conversation today. And I, I thought um, we could sort of begin with our experience with um, with what we've seen, felt, heard, known to be true about UFOs. So I've always believed (laughs) Um, and even seen things, you know, from the, you know, my, my twenties until today, I've, I've seen things. Um, But I would say that the, it it was always hard, right. To be a believer because people think you're a cuckoo and, and especially when it comes to UFOs, there's just such uh, or aliens or mm-hmm. or uh, other dimensional beings. There's just such a judgment about you if you have these beliefs. Even now, when we have so much more information coming forward from credible quote unquote sources, yeah, so, yeah. So, so it was hard, even more than being a believer in spirit and in ghosts, as I would call them. It's just very hard to be even speak about being but um about being a, a believer in in aliens quote unquote <laughs> uh but i think probably the most powerful intuitive spiritual experience uh that i had and i think i shared this with you i know i did in fact because i think we journeyed on it but um just to share for our listeners uh i i had been with a friend of mine the wonderful tim johnson who is a a very spiritual person, a believer in all things spiritual, very open, and also an incredible stylist at the Carlisle Hotel. If anybody's interested, really great um, stylist. But um, I know him through a friend of mine and then consequently would go and get my hair done <laughs> by him. He's in New York. Um, but we, I, I was having my hair cut and we were having our regular, very long conversations about spiritual things. And he asked me what I looked forward to in the coming year. And I believe this was in like, either early 20 or or late 2022 or late 2021. I think it was late 2022. Yeah, it was, it was like November, 2022. And um, I think doesn't really matter exactly when, but I said, you know, hopefully we'll have um, contact with 
with ETs. Hopefully we'll have ET contact this year. That's what I look forward to. And he said, oh yeah. So we got into a long conversation and he said, and this does have a point. He said, um, do you think that the human, human race was seeded by aliens, by ETs? And I said, I don't know. I, I, wouldn't I would never deign to say no because I don't know, but it's not something I have strong feelings about. I I I don't know. It I guess suppose I, it would make sense, but at the same time, does it really? Because I do believe in science too, so we don't have much to go on with that. But I don't know, so that's where I leave it. So I went home that night, went to sleep, had a dream that I was caring for a child that had somehow become um, parentless. And I was responsible for this child. And then suddenly I just had no ability to take care of the child at all. Everything I did fell apart. First, the blankets I tried to put on the child would fall off. I kept dropping the child. The child had this, this carriage that kept falling apart whenever I put the child in the carriage. I kept trying to feed the kid and it couldn't eat. And I gave it straws, finally trying to get water down its throat, nothing. I just couldn't take care of the kid. And the dream went on and on. I won't go into detail, but then I, I woke up and my Claire audience was really strong. And I heard all kinds of voices at the same time. And I was fully awake just for our listeners who don't understand how it works. I was fully awake, heard all kinds of voices at once, like a large crowd. And then I heard out in my hallway, in my apartment building, I heard an African man's voice yell out the word lebe. He, he yelled, lebe! And all the voices stopped. And I sensed that there was something very important about this. So I immediately looked up lebe and was taken to the Dogon tribe. And the Dogon tribe is a tribe in Africa, one of the oldest um, civilizations uh, that exists, I believe. And way before we had advanced astronomy or even knew about Sirius B, the Dogon tribe were aware of, of Sirius B, the star Sirius B. And they said it was because there was a reptilian and a merman ET race that came and gave them this information and gave them all kinds of other information too. And to this day, they celebrate every 50 years, they celebrate the some kind of movement of Sirius B star. I don't know exactly the details. And I think there's one coming up in 2024. Um, it's very hard to get into. You and I couldn't go probably, but um, they celebrate it as part of their religion. And Lebe is one of their ancestor creator gods that they worship in in their in the religion that is based around this ET race that they believe seeded them in you know the at the beginning of time and that and that this is how they came to be and that's, this is how the rest of the human race came to be and i just found it to be so incredibly um poignant that that came through to me the day we had this conversation about whether ETs seeded the human race. I had the stream that led to this intuitive experience that led to this information that indeed ETs did seed the human race. So now if, if Tim were to ask me whether I believe that I would say, I would say yes with some reservations, but, um, but uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of, and again, I, I believe I think I've mentioned to you before, and we've talked before about Stephen Greer, who has a very dicey reputation right now. But regardless, I think he um, has done a lot to advance the cause of looking at ETs as a positive influence, a positive source. And so I've ha I had belief before that, for sure. But that kind of solidified for me personally, my, my own experience, and made me feel very much like I'm connected to ETs and like I'm like I call, can call them in and that they are very present, whether or not we're aware of them. Um, so that's where I stand with it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that, um, you know, just to say something really quick before I share my experience on Stephen Gray, I think one of the things he's doing that's really, despite his dicey reputation, is he's giving people a way to make contact. I mean, he's, he's, he's bringing people together to do that. He's giving people a vocabulary and a way to do that, that I think is very much um, the same way people shamanically journey. I think that that's super curious to see the sort of correlation there. Um, it took me a real long time to get comfortable saying that I believe in extraterrestrials. Um, it was, for me, like a door that I really had to kick down. Um, 
I had a lot of like, um, I think shame around it for some reason. I think that, um, you know, I've met people within, you know, the spiritual community who will absolutely believe in speaking with the dead. They absolutely believe in ghosts and the afterlife. But when you talk about extraterrestrials, it's like they clam up and they, you know, this sort of look yeah. comes over their face. You, you, you can lose them really easily. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, you know, having had a few experiences like that, it, it took me a little bit. There was also a lot of fear around it. I had to work through a lot of fear um, and having lives where I was acknowledged, you know, I think when we talk about extraterrestrials, I think one thing to say is I think that uh, they're not all created equal. I think there is a wide range of different types of extraterrestrials. And just like humans, they run the scale of good intentions and not so great intentions, you know, mm -hmm. and I think I had to really kind of work through some past life experiences where part of what I chose to do was to be an abductee, you know, and to be part of that. And I think once I was able to move through that, for me, that's where a lot of the fear started to fall away. Um, I haven't had any direct UFO experiences. Um, I always grew up listening to my mom talk about an experience she had when she was five years old outside of a bedroom window, you know, and um, I think that's where maybe a little bit of the, the fear came in around that. And I, um, for me, though, when I really started opening up um, and really started embracing them and really started following the sort of breadcrumbs <laughs> into what it is, I started to really have a lot of dreams and then have a lot of group shamanic experiences where I would be bought aboard uh, a ship that's stationed outside of the earth and, you know, just had these wonderful experiences with these extraterrestrials as well as um, being you know seated at a long table aboard this ship being brought into different types of rooms where they grew different types of plants and the most common place I was bought was into this room on the ship and everything was white on white and there was this sort of chair this sort of um very like sort of rectangular chair that you would that they would have you sit in and I would sit in it and they would pull a screen down and it's as if you could see parts of my own life projected onto that screen. Mm -hmm. So I started to see in some sense they were talking to me about our own reality and our own perceived notions of how we perceive our reality, you know, and how like it's that all of these things are happening at the same time and the screen's just being pulled down. So they were showing me something about the nature of, I think, reality and the nature of um you know, different dimensional awarenesses um, and things like that. And that to me was really, I think when everything really started to open for me, when things really started to, you know, like I didn't just see things on a flat one dimensional timeline anymore. I started to understand the really different layers of how things fit together. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, I think that that, that is, um, what I'm most fascinated in is maybe understanding more of those moments and understanding more of those sorts of connections and being able to put that sort of multidimensional reality together. Because I think when we talk about extraterrestrials, we're not necessarily talking about things that are existing on the same plane of existence that we do, you know, and I think it requires a shift for us to be able to reach them. I think they need to kind of work to be able to come to our level and we have to work to go to their level. And I think, I think it's a lot of that sort of um, navigating that sort of um, something that might feel like distance when we're working with them. Mm -hmm. You, you yeah. made me think, I, I want to go back to something you said before, but I also just want to share that you, you made me remember an experience that I had and it did happen shortly after I was exposed to Stephen Greer. Um, it was my birthday on December 23rd. And I was outside, I was visiting my mother and I think I had gone to pick up Chinese food or something. And um, I looked up at the sky and I saw a, a light come down from the moon and then stop. And I, I just could feel that, that we were connecting, that this light and I were connecting. It was definitely watching me. I just could feel it. And then it was probably 10 seconds, maybe 15 seconds. And um, then it shot back up toward the moon and off to the right. Mm -hmm. So it was completely impossible that it was a comet or anything like that. So 
but um but uh so I just wanted to share that because I, I have had that and I did have one other experience but I won't I won't go into it but you mentioned something about the idea of there being um a scale of of like this isn't how you put it but it's the way I'll put it of morality of these um of these you know extra dimensional beings and the the only I think maybe, maybe it's the desire to see the good in in things that have advanced uh, abilities or something. But the only reason that I'm not sure I do believe, believe, agree with that, um, not that it's an argument, but you know, just in in my own experience, is that I feel if there were extra dimensional beings, ETs, aliens, whatever you want to call them, who had nefarious intent, that if they have the ability to watch us, affect us, be present with us in any way at all, they would just take over. They would just destroy us. Unless there's some kind of, uh, you know, border that they can't cross, that there, that it's not possible because of some clause in the creation of the human or whatever, where they can't. But uh, it just seems like they have the power to decimate us if they wanted to, and they don't. You know, so that's where my, mm -hmm. that's where my mind goes when you, when you say that, but what are your thoughts about that? Hey, you know, and I thought about that too. I said, I thought about it at kind of great length and it came from a, a very specific experience I have. I think it comes down to free will personally. I think that, I think that they can, can't violate our free will. And I think that before we come into existence, I think that we make choices about the experiences that we're going to have for whatever reason we need to learn. And we may hand over a fraction of, uh, not that we're handing that free will over, but that we've decided we're going to have an experience for whatever reason we need to have it for our oversoul's growth. And I think that that's the point of difference. I think that mm -hmm. that's why they can get in and have a certain amount of power. And I think we see that in the real world the power that others have over us is at the end of the day, a lot of power we've given them to have yeah. over us, yep. right? For yep. whatever reason. Um, but I had an, an experience and this was actually um, in, um, in, a, in a, I had it twice. The first time I had it was working with a psychic, a professional psychic that I had went to. And the next time I went back in to journey on this on my own, but it was an experience in which I was aboard this sort of, ship and it was a small one it wasn't very large and it had something that resembled on it it was kind of almost had the quintessential shape you would see a ufo ship to be except the glass on it was only this sort of on a third of the top and the rest of it was almost like stone where it had these sorts of engravings on it um that looked almost runic or something like that and i may have told you this story and Either i was I laying was on this sort of for the journey or you told me but yeah yeah, I you you may have actually been present for it. Um, and there was this sort of flat sort of um I guess the best thing I could say is it looked like a slab or an altar of some sort and it had the runes on it too and I was laying on it and it was it lit up on this sort of thing that looked like a, a sort of like um you ever seen the Rosetta stones in person? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's like a sort of a slab with yeah or, or just in general you know what I'm yeah. talking about and it had this sort of thing on it and the thing lit up and I saw that there had been a contract that I had made and all like blood started flowing in the writings and everything on the stone and it was about the ending of a contract that I had made mm -hmm. with some form of extraterrestrial beings and I think that was connected to the abduct abductions I had experienced in different lives and it would basically this experience of the contract coming to an end, that those things have been fulfilled. And there was something about having the conscious awareness of it too, that was important. It, they had happened, but there also had to be this sort of like, I think when all things happen, once we start to have some form of conscious awareness, whether it's in another life or the same life around it, I think that's how we begin to let it go a little bit, or we begin to let it not have the same sort of power over us. And I could see everything being lit up and drained out and it all just got went through all of these sorts of carvings on the stones on the ship and it, it was almost as if this ship was propelled by like the life giving force that was in the blood like you know the energy and I think that that's something that you know that I've seen in other journeys and things I've done and I've also read about it and 
you know, extraterrestrial theory is that they think that these ships are actually living beings and that they're powered by like energetics and, and, you know, like our energy, our life force, you know, and, and that was what I saw in that ship. And, mm. and it had to do with a contract that was made. Um, yeah. So they're me kind of, sorry. That, um, so the, the theory that the ships are living things, is it sort of that they are made up of organic material that is um, that is manipulated by consciousness, by the consciousness of the of the ET. Yeah, right. A absolutely, I think it's manipulated by the consciousness, and they also have living things on the ships. I've been in these huge rooms where plants and things are growing hydroponically, um, you know. And I'm not saying that that's what propels the ship, but the ships are like. They contain living things as well as being living beings, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think something I just, I want to say really quickly is I'll have these experiences where I get this information that's connected to extraterrestrial parts of myself. And I feel like I'll get this information and there's always a space between it. I feel like there's something that needs to be integrated or that I need to process or, or even though I accept it, it still is something that I have to kind of like, really process and really work through how I see things and how I feel about it and to, to really understand it, you know, and to really integrate it and to really, um, I guess, just accept it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, I, I know what you mean. It's all of these different random visitations that feel like a knock on the door. It, they, they all feel like just preparation 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 for what i don't know i do feel that there is going to be some kind of mass revelation i do and i i wonder if it would I, be you do too i do absolutely 100 percent. i don't think this is what's happening right now but i do think it's i do think it's coming yeah yeah I mean, let's get into, let's, let's move into what's happening right now. Let's, let's get into it. And what we'll start with is I'll just, I'm sure anyone who's listening to this probably saw some, some part of the, the hearings, but I'm just going to share uh, a little bit of the, of the hearing and um, just for, for context, for our listeners, for us, just to get an idea of what that was like. Ms. Mays. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and good morning to our witnesses who are testifying today. I want to thank each of you for being here to discuss a topic of grave importance to our national security. Earlier this year, a Chinese spy balloon was shot down off the coast of my home state of South Carolina. Since the Roswell incident in 1947, many Americans have wondered about the dangers of unknown objects crisscrossing our skies. Whether these are UAPs or weather phenomena, advanced technology from American allied or enemy forces or something more out of this world. So my first question, I have several questions and I'll, I, if we can just be quick on these first two, I'm going to ask each of you the same question um, and then I'll get to each of you individually. Uh, the first one, when you reported your experiences with a UAP, did any of you face any repercussions with your superiors, yes or no? No. No. I've actually never seen anything personally, believe it or not. So. All right. Um, and then do, do you believe there's an active disinformation campaign within our government to deny existence of UAPs, yes or no? I don't have an answer to that. As previ previously stated publicly, yes. I think previously it was like Project Blue Book, yes, but currently I don't speak for the United States government. Okay. Thank you. Um, I have a few questions for Mr. Graves. Um, what percentage of UAP sightings in your belief go unreported by our pilots? This is an approximation based off of my personal experience speaking with a number of pilots, but I would estimate we're somewhere near 5% reporting perhaps. So like 95% basically don't report seeing UAPs. That's just my personal estimate. Um, in the incident off Virginia Beach, do you believe the Navy took the danger to your aircraft seriously after it was reported? Absolutely. Um, a few questions for Mr. Favor. As an expert naval aviator, have you ever seen an object that looked and moved like the Tic Tac UAP? No. Did the Tic Tac UAP move in such a way that defied the laws of physics? The way we understand them, yes. Many dismiss UAP reports as classified weapons testing by our own government, but in your experience as a pilot, does our government typically test? I'm just going to pause it for now. 
Um, and we can go back because I, I do want to um, continue to get into what she's about to talk about. But I, I wanted to stop because I just find it interesting. And this isn't the way the whole hearing went, but it's just interesting that they keep focusing on that Tic Tac, you know, on the, the, the Tic Tac event that was then released to the New York Times, supposedly undercover and all that. It just feels like I just can't help but feel, and I'm influenced by Stephen Greer here, but I, I just feel that that Tic Tac and the balloon incident and all of those things are not legitimate um, UFOs, UAPs, but are rather technology, reverse technology, right? And that this is a slow burn way to reveal certain technologies that we've had for a long time in order to hide the fact that we've had these technologies for a long time, because it's it's unconscionable, if that's the word, I think it is, to have these technologies that could change our reliance on fossil fuels, that could potentially feed starving people, could fix the climate issues. The fact that we've been hiding this technology for reasons that are purely greedy and capitalistic, they need to be revealed carefully, right? Otherwise, we've got a problem on our hands. Also, they don't really want mm -hmm. to reveal because they don't want to get rid of fossil fuels and all the things that create the power that they're wielding right now. But so the fact that they're sticking to that narrative of the tic-tac and the, you know, all of these things that we've heard of and that probably are going to be revealed as false flags to me is sketchy. And I, and I just feel that even though it, it just, it feels like they were giving it its do, but it also feels like there was a little bit of a smirk behind it and a little bit of a, you know, not taking it very seriously and doing it for the right reasons, which would be because a lot of their constituency wants it to happen. So they're finally giving their constituency, constituency what we want, which is an acknowledgement of these things that are happening, but it still doesn't feel like there's a legitimate intention to open up the possibilities of of what's out there at the same time maybe the most important thing for us right now is not to know who it is what it is where it's coming from because we're not going to know it based on our own ability right now but rather to open the door to this technology being used worldwide and and um just openly revealed so that we can solve some of the problems so that's my thought on that first little bit you know yeah, it feels a little, a little bit like a smokescreen to me, for sure. I and I think I think it's being done in such a, you know, I think that they they made a point. I think in a, one of the little bit of the clip I heard where he they were talking about this being like a partisan thing. You know, this wasn't a Republican or a Democratic thing. It was a, a partisan thing. And I think I think that I thought to me, I thought like they were trying to play that part up a little mm -hmm. bit too. Like, look here, we can be partisan about mm -hmm. this thing, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, um, I don't know if it, it, it to me, I felt, it felt, yeah. That's like, really oh, smart. suddenly we're being partisan. Yeah, it it's is like smart in one way, but. Well, it's smart of you to pick that up. Yeah. I didn't think of that. I did notice it, but I didn't make that connection that they're getting so much flack from every end that they can't work together. So here's a perfect opportunity to talk about something they don't really care about or believe and act as though they're part, you know, bipartisan. I did question it when Stephen Greer had a second, I think it was the second um, national press, uh, what's it called? National press. Um, he had a second you know, conference where we had a bunch of witnesses get up and speak to the press about their experiences. And um, I I did find it interesting that like some major names of from the Senate to say like Rubio and um, maybe it was Schumer got together and were on the same page and talking about it. And I just couldn't help but be like, are they being paid off? or are that by the UFO interests, you know, people who want the study to continue so that uh -huh. they take it seriously because it did feel, it doesn't feel genuine. It doesn't feel legitimate. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I, I feel like some of the things that Stephen Greer talks about in the cases he makes are way more compelling than anything that, that I've seen so far come out of this hearing on Wednesday. And it, it just, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm, it seems like they're focusing on, I, I don't know. 
it, it just seems like they're not focusing on the larger picture with it, you know, and they're being safe. And I, yeah. I guess in a way you can't blame them because if you, if in history we look back and all of this is, I don't think this is the case, but say, say history looks back and, and all of it is just pure fantasy. None of it is real. It, it's proven that it's not real, that we are on the only living rock that there is no, I mean, Stephen Hawking says that mathematically it's not possible that we're the only species that exists in the universe. However, that aside, if it was shown that it was complete fantasy and BS, you don't want to be the senator who's who's having these hearings <laughs> and using taxpayer money to talk about something that turns out to be, you know, like that, the Arizona governor who had the guy dressed up as an alien come out making fun of the Arizona lights, the Phoenix lights. You know, you don't, <laughs> you don't, you don't want to be like that level of fool, foolishness when you, you might not have a belief system about it yourself, but at the same time, there's something like, why do you think they didn't reveal more information about the other objects that were seen in the sky this past winter? We, we know about the Chinese balloon, but then there are the three other things that were, yeah. what do you think about that? I think they want us to be looking in a certain spot. They want us to be looking at this for a really specific reason. Um, and maybe it is about the technology. You know, maybe they they want us to be looking at something that is also the least compelling. I'm not I'm not really sure. But I, the feeling around it is it just feels like there's ulterior motives, you know, like we're being asked to look here, um, you know. Yeah. They, the claim is that those three objects all crashed into parts of the ocean that are impossible to reach and that they just couldn't locate the remains of these objects mm -hmm. and so they can't. And maybe it's true. I mean, you think about Ocean Gate and what happened with um, the Titanic Explorer and they were able to get to yeah. that. But it's not the same climate. One was in the you know Canadian Arctic, I think, and if that's a thing, but the Canadian version of the Arctic. And um, mm -hmm. so, I mean, I don't, I don't believe it though. With all of the abilities that we have, I don't believe that they weren't able to find. So it's either that they found it and don't want to say what it is, or they know exactly what it is and don't want to share it. Either that it's some kind of a foreign adversary, or it's reverse technology that they're slowly revealing. All kinds of options there. Yeah, it feels too convenient to me, though, that it can't be located, you know, and I think that, um, to me, I feel like a lot of it is our own government. I, I really, truly do. Um, yeah, I feel like they, yeah, you know, and I, I think that, I think for them to reveal the technology, they, I think they can't reveal the technology without revealing some form of extraterrestrial existence, you know, and I, I think that maybe they're realizing, too, as we more and more are advancing as a society outside of how the government doing that. I think, I think they're real, I think they're getting to the point where they're realizing that that form of disclosure or certain forms of knowledge can't be kept under wraps the way they used to be able to. And I, you know, I think they're just still trying to control the narrative and maybe still are still working through some of it themselves, you know, I like maybe they're not quite where they need to be yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm I'm glad that there are some there are voices that are reminding people that one one of the things that they keep pointing out and you know Trump started um what what was it space uh, SpaceX is that it no no that's that's yeah. the space that? force space force space force yeah SpaceX space is like, force yeah space force yeah. right in in response to the dangers and wanting to be able to claim our part of the universe and eventually claim the whole universe because we rock but you know that that aside um i do think that I, i'm glad that there are voices that are pointing out that even though he and people like him create narratives and agencies based on the fact that apparently ETs are appearing over nuclear sites and they're they're reading it like they're going to come and take our nuclear weapons and use them against us. But fortunately, there are voices that are also pointing out that it could be that they just see the danger because they're not doing anything with them. They're shutting mm -hmm. them down. 
these Mm -hmm. most of the time they're coming and turning them off and saying no 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 and notice that the first real apparently the first reverse technology began when in the 40s during Roswell right and the, the whole thing that happened in Roswell and that happened at the same time as Oppenheimer and you know the atomic bomb and all that stuff so they appeared as soon as we started doing stupid things that are a danger to the entire universe, not just this earth, but the universe. Yeah. So, you mm-hmm. know, they just, I just feel that there is a, be- a beneficent um, force there, you know, but anyway, let's, let's watch, let's watch the rest because, she, because the conversation started to go into an interesting area as classified weapons testing by our own government. But in your experience as a pilot, does our government typically test advanced weapon systems right next to multi-million dollar jets without informing our pilots? No, we have test ranges for that. It took over 15 years for your encounter with the Tic Tac to be declassified. Do you feel there was a good reason to prevent lawmakers from having access to this footage? No, I just think it was ignored when it happened and it just sat somewhere in a file never got reported in a drawer it happens a lot up here <laughs> shocker um mr gresh uh, a couple of questions for you too sir this morning um what percentage of uaps do you feel are adequately investigated by the u.s government of the five percent that are reported <laughs> um i can only speak for uh, my personal leadership over at nga i tried to look at every report that came through that i could mm-hmm. triage so do you believe that officials at the highest levels of our national security apparatus have unlawfully withheld information from Congress and subverted uh, our oversight authority? There are certain elected leaders that had more information that I'm not sure what they've shared with certain Gang of Eight members or et cetera, but uh, certainly uh, I would not be surprised. Okay. You've stated that the government is in possession of potentially non-human spacecraft. Based on your experience and extensive conversations with experts, do you believe our government has made contact with intelligent extraterrestrials? Something I can't discuss in public setting. Um, Okay, I can't ask when you think this occurred. (laughs) Um, If you believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Yeah. Um, were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. That That is just, that's, I, I have a hard time with that one. You know, it's so hard to believe that that's the case, you know, that they have bodies. I, 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 you know, for me, I, I find that less hard to believe. I think, I think that they've had them for a while. Um, you know, I'm not sure if I feel like the, that the bodies are living at this point. If it, you, you know, I don't, I don't have any sense of that, but I just, I, I hope not. I feel like there's, yeah, I hope not either. You know, that's that's real. <laughs> if the bodies that's, are looking, uh, I want to know how they're being treated. You know, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll just let this finish. And was this documentary evidence, this video, photos, eyewitness? Like, how would that be determined? The specific documentation, I would have to talk to you in a skiff about. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and, and you may or may not be able to answer my last question, and maybe we get into a skiff at the next hearing that we have, but who in the government either, what agency, sub-agency, what contractors, who should be called into the next hearing about UAPs, either in a public setting or even in a private setting? And, and you probably can't name names, but what agencies or organizations, contractors, et cetera, do we need to call in to get these questions answered, whether it's about funding, what programs are happening, and what's out there? I can give you a specific cooperative and hostile witness list of specific individuals uh, that were in those. And, and how soon can we get that list? I'm happy to provide that to you after the hearing. Super. Very interesting. And and just to, I'm sure most people know this, but I don't know if people do because I, I didn't, but Grush, David Grush is the name of the man who was just talking. And he 
is a uh, U.S. Air Force officer and a former intelligence official. Um, so he's got, he's 36 years old. So he's got some, you know, legitimate standing with the government. It's not like he's, um, you know, so someone who's hanging out in the desert, you know, just with a tinfoil hat on, which there's nothing wrong with, but he's someone who mm -hmm. these people take seriously as opposed to most people who maybe come forward. So, uh, very, very interesting. Um, I, I hope that it is just a precursor to the disclosure that's coming. You know, that's that's all I can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I I feel like it it is, and I I feel like we're at such a point now with the disclosure is it, it you know there's been how many years now if if this has been happening since the 30s of recorded sightings, you know. You, we're, we have to uncover the cover-up before we can even begin to get at the truth. I think there's just so many layers of it. It's kind of like the first step is really getting the door open. And I think this is one of those doors, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's wedged open maybe, <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. it hasn't fully been, been open, but I think that, um, I, it, there's just there's so much information out there for them to to move forward and I think they're going to have to do it from a governmental you know point of view you know kind of the same way they are with him you know it's starting with him and I um yeah I wonder really like what I wonder about people like him you know at what point did they where was the point in which they said okay this is you know like enough of this, you know, like, this is something that needs to be, that the people need to know, you know what I'm saying? I, I always, you mean, when, you say, fascinating. when you say they, do you mean the government? Do you mean the gang of eight? Well, no, like, uh, yeah, like, David Gresh there, like, at what point did he say, like, you know, this is something I have to share, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, a, you know, I, I wonder on his journey where he was like, I'm not going to be complicit to it any longer. I'm going to speak my truth as, as I know it, you know? Yeah. Um, I, th I think pretty, I mean, he's only 36 years old. So I, yeah. I don't think it was m very long into his career. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I, it would just be, it would be interesting just to go back to Stephen Greer. I, I do wish that they would, I do wish that he would be taken seriously and be called into as a witness to this kind of thing. But unfortunately, I think he's just crossed the line into Cookville, un unfortunately. And part part of me, I don't think that that means he, I don't personally believe he is a kook, but I've, I've wondered for a long time when his reputation would start to be attacked, you know, when his voice, because his voice is pretty loud. He's got He's got all of the documentaries on on Amazon, you know, that anybody can watch and it really took mm -hmm. off, you know, and and I just wondered when there was going to be a concerted effort to knock down his reputation and make him seem like a kook. I mean, they're doing that with David Grush, too. Apparently, the media is really kind of trying to paint him as a little bit of a, you know, not all there type person. But like, mm -hmm. if you go on, if you go on certain, you know, groups and and read about people who are truly in pursuit of this information there's a lot of talk about Stephen Greer even even people who are really legitimately want to know the truth and want the truth to be pushed they really don't like Stephen Greer they feel he's a grifter a lot of people call him a grifter um and I, part of me wonders if a lot of them are just trolls who are trying to push that narrative you know because regardless of whether he's probably made some mistakes, I think there have been certain incidences where he's been caught faking evidence, that kind of thing. Um, and maybe that's true, maybe it's not, but uh, I don't know. I just feel, even in watching his stuff from the very beginning, sometimes I would be like, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if I think I necessarily buy into what he's sharing here, but a lot of what he shares, I do buy into, and I experienced the effects of it myself. So, I do wish that he could have a voice in this as well, beyond the voice that he creates for himself, you know? Yeah, I think I think the thing that becomes really difficult when we're we're dealing with and talking about, you know, the UFOs and really the 
removing the cover up from them, there's such an overlaying. We're talking about two different ways of thinking and being, and we're talking about, you know, a lot of this evidence and stuff coming from the military and the government, and this is all about, you know, protocols and logic and reason and, and, and following rules and regulations and looking at things in a more scientific or more logical way. And then when we're talking about other people, like Stephen Greer, who may have started it from that perspective, but then the more he gets into it, he starts having these experiences that become spiritual and become otherworldly, and he starts to see it through this different lens. And those two ways don't talk well with you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're almost at like fundamentally at a difference. And I think it's really once you start to see the the truth of it, once you've had your own experiences, once you you know like you can't. Your vocabulary on how you look about it and talk about it just becomes in a different realm because you understand your truth in a really different way. And I think I think that I think it was only so long before he was just he was gonna that that was the only spot he could go with it. You know what I'm saying? And it, yeah. it kind of like then loses any sort of credibility he's gonna have in a hearing in front of Congress because they're just they're just not they're, it's not set up to be that way. You know, yeah. and the shame in that is, yeah, that's why people don't trust the government because they only see things in a certain framework. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, it's true. They yeah. they have to they have to reach the masses. They have to try and reach the masses as much as possible and find the common ground. I think, and many many people don't understand this way of being, this this belief in the things that we believe in. And so they they have to remain as neutral as possible. So I I do I understand it. They can't have like you know me coming on and telling my Lebe story. <laughs> I understand it because even, even though it's real, yeah, it's legitimate. Mm -hmm. It's it's not. It's going to turn a lot of people off. You know, and I'm also I don't have any <laughs> no reason to ask me to come and talk, but you know like just yeah. As, but like, it is interesting. But, Go ahead. But it's all changing. You know, I think, you know, 50 years ago, we could, Congress would have never had this hearing, you know, no. and I think 50 years ago, we would have never been sitting having this conversation, you know, like, right. so I think, I think that or if we, if we did, it wouldn't be on something that's going to go up on YouTube. It would be in a really very right. closed circumstances and we'd be very cautious about who we shared it with, you know, and yes. I even think 15, 20 years ago, that was the case. So, you know, I think things are, are moving in a, in a sort of, um, so moving in that direction, you know, where we're going to be able to understand things differently. Yeah. Um, he, even yeah. he, even he recognizes the limitations there because in the, I think it's the Pr national press corps or something, the, I can't remember exactly the thing he does. Anybody who's listening probably would know what I'm talking about. He, he did one in 2000 and then he just did another one in June. And um, he had a bunch of witnesses get up and talk about the experiences they've had. One of them was a, a legitimate witness, but he had had a head injury that made communication very difficult for him. And so he had a very intense experience to share where he and his wife actually encountered a ship and he was working for the air force or something at the time. So, you know, another legitimate witness, unlike me or you, <laughs> you know, but, but he, um, got out, touched the ship, had all kinds of incredible experiences. And as he was sharing them, he was sharing them as though they were in 3d. Right. And then he started to say, he, he went on for too long. All of them did. Stephen Greer tried to keep, keep it short, but they all had a lot to share. So this guy in particular took him a long time to get the story out. And then he got to a point where he said, and then he was sharing an experience he had. And he said, and then what came through? And Stephen Greer immediately stood up, stopped his communication, stopped him from continuing and moved on to the next witness. Because I have a feeling that a lot of what this person experienced was in the third eye. It wasn't a 3D experience. It was a third eye experience, which you and I as spiritual people understand is just as real. But when you're talking to the press and you're talking to the rest of the world, a lot of people don't believe in, in third eye experiences, don't understand the value of those experiences, that they're equally as legitimate. And so he cut him off immediately. And I, I think it's so fascinating too for me to think, you know, 
when extraterrestrials are communicating with us and so many other people and they're having these experiences and their third eye experiences, some of them are physical experiences as, as well, that sort of understanding that and having those sort of experiences so the more we accept this, it fundamentally changes how people look at spiritual experiences. And I think that's a big part of the, you know, why it's why it's such a big deal, it, the disclosure, because it's going to fundamentally rock every major religion on this planet. Mm-hmm. It's going to call all, all of that into question. Mm-hmm. And that is, let's be real, that's a big part of our government, you know. It, it's yeah. a big part of our organized, you know, religions and that's how the world turns that's how most people believe and that's how most people are kept in in line you know and I think that you know in order to to acknowledge that I think it's it's the implications are like really much larger than we might think they would be there is a whole um there there is a whole belief system that the catholic church has a lot of inside knowledge about ets and are a part of the mm-hmm. whole process i don't really i'm looking right now to see if i can find like more like the vatican works with scientists to search for ets apparently i mean i'm looking at mm-hmm. it's called the worcester telegram i don't know if that's legit or not but vatican probes he- heavens for ets this was written in 2009 um, so I, I think that they, that the Catholic church actually does have its finger on the pulse of that a little bit. And then you think about mm-hmm. the, the, um, visits to the, Anta- the Antarctic that to Antarctica that happened, I think in 2013 or 2014, John Kerry went there, the Pope went there, Putin went there, um, Buzz Aldrin mm-hmm. went there, Aldrin, Budge Aldrin, is it Buzz Aldrin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Buzz Aldrin. Buzz, Buzz Aldrin. Yeah. yeah. And then he, he, what what was the, what did he, he put something on Twitter right after he went to see whatever it was they were going to see. I'll look it up right now. I mean, the, the Pope, not the current Pope we have, I think the previous Pope even said, you know, we're not alone in the universe. You know, I know that that stuff's out there as well. Um, But I think, you know, there's, there's a difference between a pope saying it and then everyone who's part of that organized religion agreeing with it, you know? Oh, yeah. it's, Especially it's when it's a pope like yeah. Pope Francis, who's just a different kind of pope mm-hmm. you've ever had. So Buzz Aldrin, for listeners who aren't aware, there was a, a whole event that occurred in, I think it was more like 2016. It was right around there where something was seen, heard, or discovered in Antarctica. And, um, or maybe the South Pole, which might be the same thing. I'm really, Antarctica. So mm-hmm. no one knows what it was. Nothing was disclosed, but all kinds of world leaders went to this area, including Buzz Aldrin, the astronaut, and the Pope, and Putin, the president, of course, John Kerry. All these people went there. And Buzz Aldrin, after he was there, he did experience some serious altitude sickness and really got very ill and had to be hospitalized after the visit. But before he was hospitalized, before he got sick, he tweeted, we are all in danger. It is evil itself. And then he removed the tweet immediately after he posted it, but not before somebody was able to snatch a, snap a picture of it and, and get it. So who knows mm-hmm. what he saw? We are all in danger. It is evil itself. What I wonder what they saw. What is it? Yeah. But Makes you wonder. Doesn't in the it. same spot where there's a no fly zone, <laughs> you know, like right. it, it's kind of interesting. Um, yeah. What, what did he see? <laughs> this has been a very interesting conversation, Dana. I know that you have started a. Uh, a meetup group where people can um, meet every month and experience spiritual journeys with with you and your partner, Jacqueline Breda. Um, And it's very healing, very incredible experience that I will definitely be joining. And I know that you can also be, and and I'll post that link um, in the notes. And I know you can also be found on From Shadows to Light, uh, dot com from shadows to light.com and also on instagram under that same tag from shadows to light 
And um, I can be found at kristen-harlow.com, also on Instagram and meetup. I have a free weekly medium circle that everybody is welcome to attend. And um, anything else you want to share before we, before we end, Dana? Uh, No, thank you. Um, It's always fascinating. I I think that um, what I really love is being able to talk about things that we've touched upon in our own journeys in like a larger way. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, it's really fascinating. I agree. All right. Well, thank you, Dana. And thank you to our listeners. And we will see you next time.